We need to spend a little time on non-football matters, at least off-field matters. The House Oversight Committee on Thursday issued its report regarding an extensive investigation into the Washington Commanders, the workplace issues, toxic, harassing, and everything that traces back to Daniel Snyder. Now, there were two versions that came out. There was a Democratic Party report. They were the party in control of the committee throughout the investigation. And then the Republicans had their response. Plenty of interesting stuff in both of the reports. Let's start with the one that actually has greater weight because they were the majority party at the time. And they wanted to get all this done because as of the first of the year, the Republicans take over all the committees and that investigation is over. It's kaput and everybody knows it. But Peter, I'm not surprised by the big picture conclusions here because it's all stuff that we knew. Daniel Snyder permitted and participated in the team's troubling conduct, according to the committee, dodged a subpoena, which we knew, intimidated witnesses, which we'd seen reported elsewhere. And this one was significant to me as a recovering lawyer. He was questioned for 10 or 11 hours, and he claimed more than 100 times that he could not recall answers to basic questions. That, to me, and you never know whether or not the person is lying. That's why it happens. I don't recall is the ultimate perjury safe harbor. And there's a point where if you're in the room as it's happening, you just get to a spot where you you know what the guy's doing. He just doesn't want to answer the questions. Even if it's not an important question, he just doesn't want to answer it. So he says, I don't recall. How can you prove I do recall? It's virtually impossible to prove the person is lying in that moment. When he says, I don't recall, but a hundred times is a lot of times to say it. And uh, I'm surprised that hadn't come out sooner. We hadn't heard anything about what Snyder had testified to when he finally did submit to that deposition. But um, yeah, it's, and again, that doesn't surprise me either. Nothing that came out yesterday surprised me. It's consistent with everything that anyone who's been paying attention to this knows and believes, and it's not going to change anything, especially because Peter, he's already looking to sell the team. The end result that this entire process was pointing to apparently is happening. He's looking for a buyer. And what we saw yesterday was confirmation of everything that we've come to believe over the past two years. Mike, there's two things that you just said that I find totally fascinating. Number one, the best line you have had in the history of the pro football talk television show is the following. I don't recall is the ultimate perjury safe harbor, which is the absolute perfect way to look at what we saw when I read that committee report. And I just said, how in the world does somebody not recall something over a hundred times? You know, they're just, there are some weird things in that report. Like I don't have an email address. I mean, You know, if you were the wild man of Borneo and you live in a cave (laughs) and you do not have technology and have no idea what technology is, that person doesn't have an email address. Now, if you're telling me that Daniel Snyder doesn't have an email address and is so computer illiterate that other people handle this stuff for him, I mean, that's a, come on, just stop that, 
Okay, so that's number one. But here's the thing about this committee and the report. Okay, so when Seth Wickersham and Don Van Natta wrote their uh, expose about Daniel Snyder, you know, one of the things that they wrote that Snyder and the uh, spokespeople for the Washington commanders totally poo-pooed. And they, they just said, this is no, this is not factual in any way, was that they were shadowing other people in the NFL, including Roger Goodell, that they were trying to find out some dirt about Roger Goodell. So the thing above all in this committee report was the testimony of Bruce Allen. And, and so, Mike, a lot of people now will look at Bruce Allen and Daniel Snyder. They're sort of, they seem like dread enemies, right? Isn't that what this whole situation has done that you think, I'm sure, because I think it, that Daniel Snyder and, uh, and Bruce Allen hate each other's guts, okay? Which I'm pretty sure is the case. There was a time, and it was a long time, a long time where Bruce Allen was everything to Daniel Snyder, everything. He was his top executive. He was his close advisor. He was his confidant. He was his consigliere, okay, for a long time, okay? And so when Bruce Allen says this, and when he says this to a house of representatives, congressional committee, when he says the following, that he, meaning Snyder, he said at the time, I'm going to follow, I'm going to have him followed, follow the commissioner. I'm going to find out something about him. When he testifies before the United States government that Daniel Snyder said that, it, knowing that if it's proven that he lied, that he could go to jail, and he probably would go to jail, would go to prison. You know, that to me was the most important thing that we saw in all of those pages of, of this committee's report. And I agree with you, Peter, because it helps explain why the league buried the Beth Wilkinson investigation Results. That's another conclusion the committee reached in its majority party report. But we knew that all along. We knew from the moment it happened, July 1, 2021, perfectly timed on the front end of a four day Fourth of July weekend because it landed on a Sunday. So people are Friday, people are Monday. You drop it on Thursday. By the next Tuesday, nobody remembers it. It was beautiful from a PR standpoint. But they brushed it all under the rug, and it made no sense. And this idea, well, some of the employees requested anonymity, so we're not telling you anything about what Beth Wilkinson found. It's never made sense. They've stuck with it for over a year and a half, almost a year and a half, and and it just defies logic and common sense, unless you're trying to protect Dan Snyder. Why are you trying to protect Dan Snyder? They don't like Dan Snyder. They're not doing it as a favor to him. My first thought was, They're trying to protect the other owners from being held to a similar standard now or in the future, which is possible. 
The league office also may be trying to protect itself from tough questions along the lines of what did you know and when did you know it about what was going on in the commander's organization and why didn't you do anything about it? You're partially to blame for the fact that this lasted for 10 years. Or finally, to the point you just made, the commissioner was afraid of him and still is afraid of him. At some point in the past year and a half, that dawned on me, and I've written that at PFT, they're afraid of Daniel Snyder. And the ESPN report crystallized this idea, Snyder going around boasting that he's got dirt on other owners, he's got dirt on the commissioner. To your point, Bruce Allen testifying under oath that the dirt collection effort happened, and we don't know what he has on the commissioner, but at some point you got to look at all the evidence and you got to make conclusions. Why did they tread so lightly with this guy? And yeah. that's a possible explanation, if not probable. Yeah, and I think the other part of this, Mike, that, you know, after I read that report, I, I just thought to myself, and look, unfortunately now in our society, um, you know, Brittany Griner gets released and all you hear is, what an idiotic trade. They left Paul Whelan, a Marine, uh, you know, in Russia. Look, I mean, the fact is we have absolutely no idea whether Paul Whelan was a non-starter. Wh- whatever people say about that thing, the fact is that you can either be for it or against it. But all we have is politics about something like that. And similarly... All we have is politics about this because the Republican Party will say this is a waste of time. We should not be policing a private entity, a private enterprise, blah, 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 blah. You hear it all the time. Now, you know, we can reverse it and say you can basically say whatever you want. You can make any of these stories say whatever you want. My only point about all this is that after reading this, Politics aside, I just said to myself, isn't there enough right now? Isn't there enough evidence and enough of a whisper campaign that has become a shouting campaign? Isn't there enough now for 31 other owners, even the new ones who basically, what I was told about the the um, recent NFL meetings is that half of the league, because so many owners are new, they just sit on the sidelines and shut up because they don't have enough institutional knowledge yet to figure whether they could. It's like what, you know, people criticize Jimmy Ursay, you know, for saying that, you know, Daniel Snyder has done enough most likely to for us to get rid of him and or whatever exactly he said. The only point, there's so many new people in the league that, you know, can they actually get 24 owners to sign off on whacking Daniel Snyder? But, but, but now, after all of this, isn't it enough for Roger Goodell to put his arm around Daniel Snyder's shoulders and said, this is just not going to end well. Let's, let's agree to part and let's shake hands and you'll get $650 million or whatever, $6.5 billion, whatever the ridiculous sum is going to be, $6.5 billion. And you can walk away and, and, and let's end this peacefully. 
You know, and, and again, I think Daniel Snyder, Mike, is so used to the brawl. He's so used to uh, having to fight tooth and nail for all of this stuff. And in a, uh, you know, a very modern times way, you know, basically consider himself, because I'm sure partially he considers himself the, this generation's Al Davis. Well, I'm not going down without a fight. I watched how Al Davis fought for everything. And Al Davis won his share of battles. And I'm not giving away my franchise, you know, unless I get a ridiculous price. So, but it's time, Mike. It's time in so many ways for one of the flagship franchises in the NFL, which this franchise was 25 years ago, before Daniel Snyder started putting his fingerprints all over it. It's time for Daniel Snyder to sell this team and to be out of the league. And and one last thing I'll say, Mike, you know, I've heard this from two or three people, both in ownership and, and one person in the league. They don't want to be in business with a partner that is nothing but a headache. And that's what Daniel Snyder is, nothing but a headache. Several weeks ago, Snyder announced that the team is for sale. And there was some chatter in the aftermath of the planets that possibly will align to try to compete for the purchase of the commanders. And it's gotten very quiet since then. And one development yesterday that caught my attention, because the Republican response wasn't just, we're wasting taxpayer money, we've got better things to do. They had a couple of substantive points, and I want to address both of them before we break. The first one that caught my eye was that they argue early in there, and their their response is short. They argue that this was all part of a broader scheme to force Daniel Snyder out and get Jeff Bezos in. You've got reporting from the Washington Post owned by Bezos that lit this fuse in the first place. And they point out in their report that after it became known that Snyder was exploring his options as it relates to selling equity, reports emerged that Bezos is interested. And I would hate to think that the Snyder announcement that he's considering selling was part of some grand rope-a-dope to get reports that Bezos wants to buy the team fleshed out so someone could argue later Bezos is the one who's behind all of this stuff. Psych, I'm not really trying to sell the team. I just wanted Bezos to emerge as a suitor so I could say this is all Bezos in the Washington Post. Would that not surprise you at all if that was Snyder's play and he's really not trying to sell the team? I know it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I don't know. I think you're giving Snyder too much credit here. Um, Uh, well, and and Mike, I don't know his, I don't know his motivation. I don't, I don't know his motivation, but I think he probably understands uh, even somebody as bullheaded as Snyder, he probably understands that he's setting, because I think, I think he's setting his family up for a lifetime of torment. If he is absolutely 
insistent that he's going to keep this team within the family. Do you think all of the fans of this franchise who have gone away, do you think that if Daniel Snyder says, I'm relinquishing all control of this team and moving to Indonesia uh, and, and, and they're going to run the team. I'm not going to have anything to do with the team anymore. All of a sudden, do you think that all those fans, formerly of the Redskins, now of the commanders, uh, who have gone away, do you think they're all going to come back and say, oh my God, this is fantastic. Snyder's gone. Now I have his wife and children. Yay, now we're going to win. It just, it does not make any sense at all. All I know is this. We never dreamed that he would sell. Of course, he also said all caps never would he change the name. But when it happened, when that statement came out, we were all surprised because we thought he was bracing for a fight. The league was bracing for a fight. They were afraid of him, afraid of what he would do. This is just the way he's wired. He fights everyone. When he made that announcement, we all were stunned. And there was an element in league circles of, is this real? My only point is this. Because of the way it played out yesterday and the way that I had people pointed out to me, I thought, oh, my God, is there a chance that Snyder put this team up for sale as a way to just cement his point that Jeff Bezos and the Post are out to get him? If anyone in the world would think that way, it's Daniel Snyder. That's my only point. Time will tell whether there's any merit to that crazy-ass idea. One last thing, and then we, just, we have to go to break. The Republican Report also has more emails attached to it, exchanged by and among Bruce Allen, John Gruden, and others. We were aware of, of the worst of them as it relates to John Gruden. There's other stuff in there too, Peter. I don't know how closely you've looked at it. That makes it obvious to me. Gruden's never coaching again in the NFL. Bruce Allen is never coming back. And one of the things Allen testified to is he was told by the league office that the commanders leaked the emails not the league now the league would have a reason to blame someone else if they actually did it but that's going to complicate john gruden's lawsuit against the nfl because now i think the commanders are going to get a seat at the table based upon bruce allen's testimony so these are all things to be determined gruden's lawsuit does snyder sell where does this go from here nobody really knows but on we go when we return we go on to the Week 14 matchups to come. We'll get you ready for those on this Friday edition of PFT Live. We'll be right back. There is a pile of dung falling down on Russell Wilson's head right now. And it has been falling for the last month nonstop. What you are trying to do as the head coach of this team, what you're trying to do is you're trying to do everything humanly possible to make sure that that dung storm does not fall with any, any kind of help from the team. I think we now have to sit down and put together not necessarily a script. We can do the movie treatment because we already have the title. And the title is Dungstorm. Dungstorm <laughs> is the title. <laughs>
That was great. That was well done. We had some fun with that last week. We had posted the clip on social media with the Dungstorm poster. I think that's coming out Memorial Day weekend next year. The, the actual falling poop emojis on Russell Wilson, that was new. We had not seen that before. That was very well Could done. Could we please see that again? Can we see the poop emojis on <laughs> Russell Wilson? I mean, those, that, that was beautiful. It was just... <laughs> <laughs> that is what I call a dung storm. <laughs> but don't yes. you think that's what Russell Wilson feels like this year? Really? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's a little crazy. But thank you, everybody, for that. That's really one of my finest moments. And I'd like to accept this award uh, on behalf of everyone in my family and on my inspiration Mike Florio, thank you very much for this award. And uh, well done, and off we go. The dung storm happened for the Lions earlier this year when they were 1-6, and six, and they have turned it around, Peter. They have won four out of five games. Could have been five in a row. Thanksgiving, they, they, they had the Bills beaten. They are back. They are for real. They are 5-7 and seven now, and they are favored by one and a half. It's moved. It started, Vikings were favored two and a half. It swung to the Lions being favored by two and a half. Now it's inched back toward the middle. Lions one and a half point favorites. And I can see why. The offense has been great all year. The defense has gotten better. And the Vikings are the ultimate shamrock up the butt, to use Chris Sims' phrase, team this year, where you just feel like eventually their luck's going to run out. Mike, there's two things about this that I find really interesting. One is that if you look at the last four weeks, the Detroit Lions have scored 31, 31, 25, and 40 points. So basically, when you look at the Vikings, do you have much of a doubt? I'm not saying the Lions will score 33 points, but the Lions are almost certainly going to score somewhere in the high 20s, 30s, something like that. You know, because Jared Goff is kind of finding himself. Amon Ross St. Brown is the best player in the NFL who doesn't get enough credit and all that. But I want to just go back in time to talk about what I think is a fantastic coaching job by Dan Campbell. Okay, so I visited the Lions in the offseason. And I wrote a column in May, a long column, about how I thought this was the NFL's up-and-coming team this year. And in my prediction column before the year, I got the most negative emails that I got on anything I predicted. And keep in mind, I predicted the New Orleans Saints to be the number one seed. I predicted the Green Bay Packers to get to the Super Bowl. So I am a championship dolt right now. (laughs) But what I got the most pushback on is I had a line in my prediction column in which I said, I think the New England Patriots, Jacksonville Jaguars, and Detroit Lions all will finish 7-10. and Now, I didn't hear much about the Patriots. I didn't hear much about the Jaguars. But, but everybody wanted to revoke my competency license in life 
for saying that the Detroit Lions were going to win seven games. And again, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. I'm saying this to tell you that this is such a great accomplishment by the Detroit Lions, being competent, being favored over a 10-2 and two team or whatever the, the, the Vikings are right now. That to, to be in the ball game with that team in December, hats off, Dan Campbell. You deserve it. Especially after starting one and six and kicking up noise of another potential regime change in Detroit. They never give any one group enough time to really do their thing. And right. now Dan Campbell has won enough over the past five weeks to force Sheila Ford Hamp to stick with it. Chris Spielman is a big influence in this as well. Chris Spielman is the guy that doesn't get mentioned enough who is making things happen behind the scenes. But they're going to stick with the kneecap biting. It's working, and they could end up in the playoffs. And there could be a round three between Minnesota and Detroit. If the Vikings are the two seed and the Lions somehow swipe the seven seed, that's a wild card game right there. Lions and the Vikings in the postseason. Let's go ahead and take a break. The Buccaneers and the 49ers get together. Brock Purdy gets his first career start in Tom Brady's second career game at the 49ers. We'll discuss that one when PFT Live continues right after this. The voices to play Jordan Love will be cacophonous on Monday and even on Sunday night. Show me something, Aaron Rodgers. Only from Peter King do you get Dung Storm one segment and cacophonous the next segment. There we go. We still got time left. Peter's going to use a fancy word at some point coming up because Dung Storm made a return appearance earlier today. All right, Buccaneers at the 49ers. The Bucks were in sort of a dung storm on Monday before they turned around and won against the Saints, just like the Rams did last night. The 49ers, though, looking pretty good. Hey, for all the holding Donovan Smith did on Monday night, good luck trying that on Nick Bosa. Peter, as I said earlier in the week, it's going to be like Jeff Van Gundy on Alonzo Mourning's leg if Donovan Smith tries to hold Nick Bosa. Tom Brady is going to have a rough time against this team. Let's hear a little bit, though, from D'Amico Ryans, the defensive coordinator of the 49ers, on whether or not Nick Bosa is indeed playing the best football of his career. I think he, he definitely is playing his best. But when you talk about someone, you know, a guy who can change the game and affect the game the way Bosa does it, I mean, I mean to me, it's hands down the best in the league, right? You talk about a defensive player of the year type candidate like if it isn't Bosa, I don't know who else it should be, right? He's, you know, put our defense in a position we're in, right? We are, we're not where we are if it's not with Bosa and how he changes the game, how he affects the quarterback, how he speeds up the quarterback's timing, and he's still able to get as many sacks as he has, right? He's able to get to the quarterback, put him down, uh, force the ball, right? We're able to scoop and score. There's just so many game-changing plays that Bosa has made. He really is incredible. Defensive player of the year, quite possibly. One of the most important pieces of the 49ers. Hasn't gotten his second contract yet. I assume he will in the offseason. And, you know, Peter, just a guy that makes it easier to move forward without Jimmy Garoppolo. Between Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Bosa, 
Bosa far more important to that team than Garoppolo. And as long as he stays healthy, the 49ers are going to be a force. You know, Mike, you look at this game. And so I covered the game last Sunday um, and saw the Miami Dolphins waltz into Levi's Stadium as the most electrifying team in football, most electrifying offense in football. And, you know, they did make two fantastic plays. The 75-yard bomb to Trent Sherfield on the first play of the game and then the long touchdown pass uh, to Tyreek Hill later in the game. But aside from that, and I realize you can't eliminate that, but aside from that, they were totally bottled up and frustrated by the San Francisco 49ers. And I just want to make this one point about what the 49ers are facing this week. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the last seven games. Okay, we all look at Monday night and we say, okay, uh, you know, you never count Brady out. They're great in the fourth quarter. They're really this this team, this never-say-die team. You can't put a stake in them, blah, 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 blah. Look, let's, let's forget all that for a minute. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the last seven games are averaging 16 points a game. I mean, their offense, with all due respect to Tom Brady, uh, who basically is keeping them afloat, but their offense is going to go to San Francisco and play the best defense in football. And I'll tell you what, if they score in the 20s, it's a Christmas miracle for the Bucs. And they're going to have to score in the 20s, in my opinion, to win this game. I just don't think they can do it. And it really is amazing to think in all these years of playing, it's only the second time Tom Brady has played a game at San Francisco. The 49ers, the team that he grew up rooting for, he was present for the catch game. And they asked Kyle Shanahan about Tom Brady yesterday when Brady wanted to come there in 2020. And Shanahan said, we saw signs of decline in 2019, how crazy we were, how crazy everyone was. Tom Brady keeps on going, but he's going to have a hard time keeping it going on Sunday against that great 49ers defense. We keep it going with a preview of the Sunday night game, Dolphins and the Chargers, Tua versus Justin Herbert. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Mike, I wanted to ask you about Justin Herbert and the, the unique challenges he, uh, I guess, presents with that, with that arm and all that. And did you get a chance to visit with him in a pre-draft process? And if so, what did you come away with? Oh, that was like several. Um, that was, that was so long. to answer your question, he does have an arm. I think, I believe two of them. Um, and it is strong. Uh, I'm not sure how much he can curl, but he can throw the ball far. Classic. Classic. Mike Brzee. Oh, no. Oh, no. The upside down pineapple. Oh, no. Oh, pineapple. Hey, Mike, can Look I just, can we right go way. back? Can we please go back to this? Now, before the upside down pineapple, I want to see the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question about the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Why? Are there pineapples behind him? Why does Baptist <laughs> Health have a pineapple for a logo? Well, you're not going to get another pineapple for saying it. Maybe you will. 
because we both got this week <laughs> pineapples from Baptist Health. And also a coffee table book about, not coffee tables, but Baptist Health. And a nice bag that you can yeah. put stuff in and carry around that says Baptist Health. There's my pineapple. I have yet to carve it open. Peter, on the other <laughs> hand, has enjoyed his pineapple. <laughs> so thank you, Baptist I'll say Health. this. You sent me a picture of your pineapple. I sent you a picture of mine. So there you go. That's right. But, <clears throat> you know, Mike, something about about Mike McDaniel, you know, uh, when he said he does have an arm, two of them, I think. One <laughs> of the reasons I think, and I, I did a lot of reporting last week, never spoke to McDaniel, but I, I did a lot of reporting last week about the Dolphins and about their offense. And one of the things I found out is, two of the things I found out. Number one, when Tua Tungvaloa has a poor game, which he did on Sunday. He beats himself up mercilessly over it. And he becomes absolutely, totally determined that those mistakes will not be repeated, okay? And he was just off on Sunday in Santa Clara. He was. If you watch the game, I kept thinking to myself, man, this is an accurate passer. And so many of his balls were were just you know, behind guys, over guys, on the ground. You know, he did the Deshaun Watson thing, you know, where Deshaun Watson, about five balls were three feet in front of his receivers. But but, but I, I, I think, at, so I don't think he's going to be bad again. But the other thing I learned is that the reason these guys like playing for Mike McDaniel is because of moments just like that. Instead of saying, oh, that Justin Herbert, great arm. Uh, We got our hands full with him this week. We got this. He makes a silly little pun about it, a little joke. He has fun. And he makes football fun for those players. And they love playing for him. I I just think the addition of Mike McDaniel, and Mike, how, how ironic is it? Isn't this the only head coaching job that Mike McDaniel ever interviewed for. And he got the job after never interviewing for a head coaching job before or since. And he gets the job and now they're one of the best teams in football. It's just, it's a very cool story. And I think the Dolphins are going to be a big factor in January. And beyond. I mean, Mike McDaniel is so refreshing because of the type of personality he has and because he's true to it. He's authentic. He doesn't try to be anything other than who he is. He doesn't say what he thinks he's supposed to say. He just says what he believes. Right, and right, he right. is who he is. And I think, I think we all would benefit from that because I think we're all tempted at times to act like someone other than who we really are. Just be who you are. And life is a hell of a lot less stressful. Maybe that's why he looks so chill all the time. He's never worried about whether I should say this or should I say something different or would a real NFL head coach say that. He just says what he believes. Now, Peter, what do you believe as it relates to Tua Tonga-Vailoa versus Justin Herbert taken fifth and sixth overall respectively in the 2020 draft, Tua to the Dolphins just before Herbert to the Chargers? Who is the better of the two right now? I mean, 
I think, and I, I don't mean to pun on this one, Mike, but I think it's an absolute toss-up because I think if you put Justin Herbert right now in Mike McDaniel's offense with those weapons, we'd all, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Everybody would say, well, Herbert's better. And Tua happens to have a great play caller, um, not only two great offensive weapons, but he's got more than that. You know, he's got... He's got guys all over. I mean, last week, Alec Ingold, the fullback, is, you know, is, is catching three passes uh, in either one or two series. But I think the, the way I sort of separate these quarterbacks, honestly, obviously, Justin Herbert has a more dynamic arm. But I think that Tua Tonga-Valoa, you know, except for the hiccups like last week, I think he's the more accurate passer. And I think they're both going to have really, really good careers. The reality here, too, that you mentioned that it's close, that in and of itself is significant because a year ago, it was a no-brainer. The Dolphins screwed it up. They took right. the wrong guy. They should have taken Herbert. He's clearly better. Enter Mike McDaniel, and all of a sudden – you know, two is the Pro Bowl leading vote getter. Two is the, the, the star of the league right now. Two is turning it around. He put a lot of work and effort into it, to his credit. But the fact that it's even close to me is a huge development. And I still think Herbert would be even better than Tua with Mike McDaniel. And Tua would not be anywhere near what he is if he was with the Chargers. But it'll be, it'll be fun to see it play out on Sunday night when Tua and Justin Herbert get together on Sunday night football Dolphins at the Chargers. We'll take a break when we return. Show me something draft for week 14. We'll do that next right here on PFT. Overall, just playing football. You know, just being out there, just playing football, doing what I'm doing, just finding myself. All that stuff got to come back. Um, and, and like I said last week, I, I don't know when it's going to come back. I don't know if it's, if it's going to be last week, this week. You know, my job is to just keep keep getting better. And when it clicks, it, it, it clicks. And everyone would feel that. So, um, like I said, just keep improving, keep trying to do my best, uh, make sure that the team is, is up and uh, up to the challenge and trying to, uh, you know, score points and win games. Sean Watson from Thursday as he gets ready for his second start. Going to be a little more difficult than it was against the Houston Texans, and he wasn't great on Sunday. So it's show-me-something time now for Week 14. Six teams are off, but plenty of action coming. Peter, you are up first as always. Show-me-something, Joe Burrow. I realize that that's a relatively insane thing to say based on the fact that in the last three weeks, he's beaten Mike Tomlin, Mike Vrabel, and Andy Reid. So, but hear me out on this. He's playing the Cleveland Browns. Since he was drafted to be the savior of the Cincinnati Bengals, he is 0-4 against the Bengals' arch rivals. 0-4. He was hurt for one of the games, and the Bengals lost that one. The Bengals have not beaten the Cleveland Browns since Joe Burrow was drafted, period. Five games against the Browns, five losses, four of them quarterback by Joe Burrow. Now you've got the very interesting scenario of Deshaun Watson waltzing into a pretty conservative town, Cincinnati. 
Let's see how he's treated by the fans there. But regardless of how they treat Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow's got to step up and be very big in this game so that the Bengals continue on what should be a division-winning season. They cannot afford to stumble to the Cleveland Browns again. So show me something, Joe Burrow. Show me something, Tyler Huntley. This is your opportunity for the second straight year with a late-season injury to franchise quarterback Lamar Jackson at a time when his future is uncertain, to say the least. Tyler Huntley, a cheaper, younger version of Lamar Jackson, not nearly as talented, but this is a chance to show that you can run the offense, you can engineer victories, you can keep the Ravens in the playoff hunt. Last year, even though Huntley did well, the team went 1-3 and three and slipped out of the postseason chase. This year, get some wins, get into the playoffs, and Peter, I'll be waiting to see whether or not the Ravens sign Tyler Huntley to an extension of moderate financial significance, because if that ever happens... That could be the sign that they're ready to move away from Lamar Jackson and embrace a guy that they really like in Tyler Huntley. And they'll like him a lot more if he beats the Steelers on Sunday. Show me something, Bill Belichick. You know, Mike, did you ever think you would start to hear storm clouds slash rumors slash um, Robert Kraft's not real happy with the direction of the team blah, 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 three years after, um, you know, the Brady Brady experiment, the Brady experience uh, came to an end. I just never thought I'd hear it. I thought that Bill Belichick, as Robert Kraft once said, could easily coach well into his his 70s and maybe till 80. Maybe he'd be a, a Warren Buffett. But you're starting to hear more and more that the preparedness of this team and the personnel on this team and the coaching staff on this team is meeting with the dissatisfaction of the ownership of this team. I think New England at Arizona Monday with a Patriots loss, all but taking them out of the pennant race when you think about it, a Patriot loss would be really kind of intolerable if you want to have a chance to make the postseason, I think this is a very important game for Bill Belichick. Show me something, the almighty Bill Belichick. Show me something, Mike White. It was in 2021, in his third start of the year, he took on the Buffalo Bills, threw four interceptions, and the Bills won the game 45-17. to This year, in his third start, it's the Buffalo Bills again. Not that Zach... Wilson is ready to come back onto the field, but to the extent that Mike White is thinking about cementing this job for the rest of the year and maybe beyond, this is the opportunity to do it, to reverse what happened last year, to come out and play like he did in defeat in Minnesota. It caused guys like Garrett Wilson to rave about him so much in the locker room. I thought they'd actually won the game. They love this guy on that team, and they'll love him even more if he can at least keep it close against the Buffalo Bills in buffalo we're keeping it close here to the end of the show we need to take a break when we return one more round of the show me something draft right here on pft live there we are so far show me something for week 14 round three peter king you're up mike show me something jared goff 
And, and look, Jared Goff has shown us a lot this year, particularly in the last half of this season. In his last six games, Jared Goff has engineered an offense that's averaging 28.2 points a game. And in six games, Jared Goff has turned the ball over one time. One interception, zero loss fumbles. So Jared Goff is on his way. Hasn't done it yet, but he's on his way to winning this quarterback job so that that high draft choice that the Lions have in the first round next year uh, from the Los Angeles Rams, they just might be able to use that to auction it off for a ransom to a team that desperately wants one of the quarterbacks in this draft. We all thought that they would be picking one, the Detroit Lions, not so fast. This is one more opportunity, Jared Goff, to show that you deserve the long-term job in Detroit. Show me something Sunday against the Vikings, Jared Goff. Show me something, Mike Vrabel. By all indications and appearances, and there's been no reporting from anyone to push back against this, there was a power struggle between Vrabel and GM John Robinson, and Vrabel won it. He's in charge now. He's in control, and he's got a winnable game coming up against the Jaguars, who have the propensity to rise up and surprise from time to time. Mike Vrabel needs to push down hard and blow out the Jaguars and prove to everyone that his grip over the Titans is clear, it's unquestioned, it's cemented, and the Titans will be better off in the long run with Vrabel becoming Bill Belichick light in Tennessee, where he is in charge of everything. Peter, we're running out of time. We didn't get a chance to talk about all this stuff in Tennessee, but a stunning move this week. Another crazy week. Every week in the NFL seems to be a little crazier than the one before. Everybody, hey, look, three people I talk to are around the league just shocked that John Robinson is gone. There'll be something else shocking that happens this weekend. We'll break it all down after it does on Monday. Have a great weekend.